You're listening to Once, episode 248, Firebird. Welcome back to another episode of Once, the unofficial podcast for ABC's TV show, Once Upon a Time. I'm Daniel J. Lewis. I'm Jeremy Laughlin. And I'm Jacqueline. And we're happy to have you joining us as we dig deep into the episode Firebird. We are going to take the elevator down Uh into the depths (laughs) of this episode to discuss things and boldly go where no one has gone before. Allegedly. Yes. Let's start off with the past. The past. Lobster Shack in Maine, 2009. That is the actual Lobster Shack that we've seen before. Uh, that um, That's where Emma and August were. Uh, so it makes sense for Emma to go back there doing this kind of digging around, going down the elevator, so to speak, <laughs> to try and discover her past. But an interesting thing here is this is in 2009. So this is eight years after Henry was born. And Henry was born while Emma was still in prison. So she's been out of prison for who knows how many years, probably robbed some convenience stores. And that's what this bail bonds woman is after Emma for, is those convenience stores, not the original convenience stores that we saw Emma and Neil rob together back in Tallahassee. So she's just continued her life of crime. That's kind of disappointing. Also, do they actually send bail bonds people after petty thieves like that? Well, if she jumped her bail, I suppose so. Although it doesn't sound like it was a major crime. So, yeah, that was a little confusing. Um, The timeline itself, though, was kind of confusing because, like Daniel said, this is after everything with Neil. And we know that she went to Tallahassee for a while. So then she got out of jail, went to Tallahassee, and then came back and continued her life of crime. Is that what we're supposed to take away? Um, Maybe she... Robbed some convenience stores after she got out of jail, then ran away to Tallahassee, and now she's up in Maine, maybe. (laughs) I I think as I watched this the first time, I thought it was pretty fun the way they recreated some of the sort of scene beats from the pilot when we were introduced to Emma. Yeah. But it's interesting, though, as I think about this whole, really the whole backstory from the perspective of what it says about Emma as a character, it's maybe not my favorite thing. Because to me, Emma is Emma. I don't know how I feel about how <laughs> how suddenly we see this woman's sort of the prototype. It's like Emma patterned herself after <laughs> after this woman. And as we're talking about the timing of things, maybe it happened in a year or however long it was. But by the time Henry found Emma, she seemed... And I felt that it had been for much more of her life than this. Like she just had given up. She never, like she was just over it. You know, it had done its damage and she was hurt who she was living independently, didn't have anybody. Uh, I'm sure, I mean, obviously it made her sad, but I don't, I never got the feeling that she had been recently desperately searching. I think it's not too unreasonable that this could happen in two years because it was, it was in 2011 that the show started and that's when Henry came and found Emma. 
And by that point, maybe she'd spent these two years freelancing as a bail bondswoman, but also trying to dig deeper into her history and discovering nothing at every turn or not discovering anything anywhere. And two years is plenty of time to give up, really. True. Is it enough time to become a really established bail bonds person to the point where you have a really swanky apartment in Boston, though? (laughs) Maybe. Yeah, I I would have rather seen more years between this flashback and what happens in 2011. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Although maybe she continued knocking over convenience stores because who's really going to suspect the bail bonds person? So she just, you know, she got her extra money that way. (laughs) Or maybe she's actually still a criminal. Is there a sneaky Emma theory? I'm sure someone out there has (laughs) one. I loved the parallels between this and the pilot episode. And I rewatched that scene from the pilot. And in fact, like, listen, I know many of the fans recognize this too, but listen to what Cleo said. I look at you, young, pretty. Okay. And I see (laughs) someone who now, stop me if I'm wrong, but... Someone who stole money from a couple convenience stores in Phoenix got arrested and took off on her bail. Now jump back to season one, the very first episode when Emma was in her bright red dress, meeting that guy who looked like he was from Lost. (laughs) And this is what Emma said. You are handsome, charming. Go on. The kind of guy who, and now stop me if I get this wrong, embezzled from your employer, got arrested and skipped town before jail. The worst part of all of this is your wife. Your wife loves you so much that she bailed you out. And how do you repay that loyalty? You're on a date. Who are you? The chick who put up the rest of the money. Your bail bondsman. Bail bonds person. Mm-hmm. That and the, the parallels with what happens when Emma walks across the street. You get to see from inside a car that Emma is just very confidently walking across the street as uh-huh. this car almost hits her. You see the exact same thing here. In this episode, with the um, from inside the perspective of a car almost hitting Cleo, but what wasn't used again was the music. The da 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 da. da. <laughs> that would have been rather inappropriate, <laughs> as it was here. <laughs> when Cleo took Emma into custody, and Emma broke out and got to see the tracker website, which by the way, I did look around. I couldn't find that actual site in existence anywhere, (laughs) but it would have been cool if it existed in that way. Because you're not a bail bondsman. I was expecting to maybe see instead the uh, where's your mama or whatever the site was that Henry used back in the season one (laughs) pilot. And uh, no, sorry. This This must be like the prequel to where's your mama or whatever that site was that Henry used. So they go to the courthouse, and in the file, I got a screenshot of the stuff that was in Emma's file. On the paper that mentioned her possessions, it described the blanket, which we knew that Emma had that. Hmm. It also had the paper that described August a little bit, and it was really hard to read the paper. I've got as high of a definition as I could get screenshot in the show notes for this episode at oncepodcast.com slash 248, so you're welcome to try and read that. I couldn't read it very well other than just saw some things that mentioned the boy and such, but the the lady, Cleo, just explained for us what was on the paper, but still, it would have been nice to understand some extra interesting things, and we 
got the idea that jackets are armor. <laughs> jackets are armor. This is actually something that the writers have used quite a bit when they interview and talk about Emma. Um, they've often called her red jacket her armor. And in promotional shoots or whatever, whenever she's mimicking Charming and she's got her father's sword, she's always wearing her jacket because they've always referred to it as Emma's armor. Hmm. So I kind of thought it was nice that Cleo picked that up and, and used it in the episode. Nice. Yeah. There again, I I liked it, but as I think about it, I would almost rather that Cleo's armor had been something different or that maybe she'd at least done her hair a little more uh, of a different style than what Emma chose later on. Something so that she wasn't just the prototype for Emma <laughs> that Emma templated herself off of. Well, I think it it would not have been like that if Cleo hadn't died kind of helping Emma. I think that made a really big impression on Emma to the point that Cleo was kind of a hero to Emma. Right. And so that was a model. Yeah. It just, for me, it makes it a little less, this is who Emma is, and a little more, wow, Emma really (laughs) was affected by this one person that she met briefly, and she just started copying a lot of things. Well, you know, when you break into a county courthouse together, (laughs) you're friends for life, which is apparently very short (laughs) in Cleo's case. Yeah, I, it works. It was kind of fun. I'm glad it wasn't the same jacket or <laughs> yeah. or something like that. But it would have been interesting if somehow uh, I like the concept of the armor having come from her, from Cleo. But it it could have worked well, too, if somehow it had been something different. And then for Emma, it was this jacket. I know that this death of Cleo doesn't really make all that logical sense because... Here's what they want us to think happened, although you watch it, this isn't the way it was filmed. But what we're supposed to think happened is that when Cleo jumped out of the window and she kind of stumbled there on the ground, that she fell onto glass that was apparently sticking straight up right? instead of lying flat. But but don't think about that because (laughs) if we start asking questions about that, that's when, you know... Your questions are pointless. (laughs) Yeah, because there again, there was this good concept with the Cleo story, and it, it was fine. You know, I didn't hate it. I just thought this is sadly not the first death in TV history that happened with some broken glass that I thought, why are they dead right now? This mm-hmm. doesn't I, like what did she die from? Well, in the chat room. (laughs) It was so fast. She should have been able to get to a hospital. I'll bet they could have done something. Well, she didn't die right then. Don't think so? No. She she actually didn't because, I'll jump forward a little bit, uh, in Boston, 2010, when Emma takes the papers and pictures and stuff to Tasha, among the documents is the certificate of death, which does say the exact time and date. February 12th, 2009 at 1031 a.m. So this must have been the night of February 11th that they broke in or Emma broke in and that the glass thing happened. So the police came, picked her up. She was still living but passed out maybe from blood loss or pain because stomach wounds can be extremely painful. Mm -hmm. And in our live chat room on the night that this aired, someone or a couple people did confirm and I don't know how – good of doctors they are but they did confirm that (laughs) 
a wound in that area with something like that could yeah. be fatal. And I, I'm sure it could, but that makes me feel better because that the timing of what appeared to be her death was just too much. <laughs> right. The sudden head flop, but I thought, well, I mean, it doesn't look like she's lost a ton of blood yet, and it's not her heart, and I'm not sure what just happened. <laughs> and Palace 486 asks a good question. Why couldn't we see Cleo in the underworld? Yeah, the underworld that we're seeing seems like a pocketed underworld that only applies to enchanted forest people. Good point. And... Cleo might not have had any unfinished business. She seemed like a pretty squared away person. <laughs> well, I think her daughter would have been her unfinished business. Oh, you're business. right. You're right. But maybe, yeah, maybe there's a different underworld for people in the land without magic. <laughs> At least based on <laughs> scope given to us in the underworld with cemeteries and numbers of extras lined up for hauntings and whatnot. Going back for just a moment, what do you think about Cleo saying to Emma, let go? I kind of wonder if Emma actually ever took that message to heart because she's she holds on to people and things pretty tightly. She was kind of a magpie there for a while. She collected all these little trinkets from her past and she carried them with her, you know, from place to place. We know she moved around a lot, but it was always just this one box of possessions. The only thing she had from her past that she kept taking with her. So the swan necklace the bug itself, her blanket. We learned that the jacket has some pretty emotional significance in this episode. And even up to the present day where Emma doesn't know how to let go of someone she loves, it just kind of makes me question whether or not Emma will ever take this lesson to heart. Hmm. And maybe should she even take it to heart? Should we be encouraging people to let go of everything? (laughs) I don't think it was let go of everything. It was... Emma was holding on to this idea of finding her past and kind of like she couldn't move on with the rest of her life until she knew her origin. And that's what she needed to let go of. So in a sense, my impressions of how her life was when Henry found her are consistent with the idea that maybe she did at least partially take that to heart, but almost in a partially healthy, partially unhealthy way. She let go (laughs) of her emotional connection to her past, put on her armor, which might have in previous seasons been described as her walls that apparently needed to come down. (laughs) I don't have any issues. (laughs) (laughs) Hmm. But it was really neat getting to see the origin of the jacket. And I, I just, I loved seeing that and even the way they kind of built up to it. Yes, we could tell it was coming as we watched it and many of the other fans could too because you're you're very smart. You listen to this podcast. That means you're even smarter. So we knew this was coming <laughs> watching the, the show, but it's still really neat to see it. However, I've got to get to work. Yeah. What was that? Yeah, I don't understand that final line. I don't know why putting on the jacket getting her armor means that she has to go to work she's already at work isn't she because she's taking that phone call in the car right setting up a case so it's not like suddenly now she's gung-ho about being a bail bonds person in her mind maybe it's i have my armor now now i've got to get to work because i've got my armor i'm ready yeah but she looked like she was having this major realization or revelation or i don't know it was it (laughs) the framing and her expression were, I don't know, just a couple levels down from when she realized magic was real. 
<laughs> it was it was strange. It felt momentous, and I didn't really understand what she was about to do. It was more vague than the final battle. <laughs> so the story of Emma and Cleo did actually remind me of one of the Greek myths that I know about creatures who are constantly trying to catch one another and can never be caught. Because, um, you know, Emma does say to Cleo, I can break out of handcuffs, and clearly she can get away from Cleo this entire time. And I don't think it's coincidence that they named her Cleo Fox. So there was this creature in Greek mythology known as the Temusian Fox, who was this really rascally creature, and his destiny was that he could never, ever be caught. Um, it was this absolute nightmare because foxes tend to get into all kinds of trouble. But there was this other magical creature who was destined to catch everything that it sought, and it was a hound. And these two, the fox and the hound, chased each other for a very long time, and it was this constant paradox, where the fox could never be caught, but the dog could never not catch the fox. And Zeus grew really sick of this, and decided to turn them both into stone, and then he cast them into the heavens as stars, where they remain today, known to us as Canis Major and Canis Minor. And I thought that it kind of reminded me of Emma and, and Cleo. I know there has been some research on Cleo, C-L-I-O, but in this, in the credits and in the subtitles and all of that, it was C-L-E-O, which makes me wonder if they intended any kind of little reference to Cleopatra, but I, I don't think that we really got enough <laughs> of this character's origin story or this character's position necessarily to say, yeah, that's a reference to Cleopatra. If a pyramid appears in the middle of Storybrooke by the end of the season, <laughs> next year is the Egyptian season. Well, I know Jacqueline has something to say about Egyptian stuff later on. Oh. So maybe next season will be the Egyptian mythology season. <laughs> Are you my mummy? <laughs> <laughs> but you know speaking of mummies you know what wraps us up with love what preserves us what keeps us in a wonderful sarcophagus of hope and magic and wonder keeps away the decay better than with hook's body and storybrook <laughs> exactly it is our wonderful heroes for the podcast we could not do this podcast without you we are very grateful for your support episode after episode. And for this episode, I'd like to thank Lisa Slack and David Newland and our 32 heroes on Patreon. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. One of the cool things that you get with being a hero, especially if you support us through Patreon, is you get access to the bloopers. And we have some fun ones quite often. In fact, someone recently switched the way that they were supporting the podcast in order to get those bloopers. Oh, dear. And they said they were hilarious. Uh, I know that it's really fun just for us to hear the bloopers, too. I share them with the team when I publish them to Patreon. And they're fun bloopers. But as a hero to the podcast, you also get other stuff, like you get the spoilers early. You get uh, to see the unedited version of our podcast and some other cool stuff, too. And that's to be a hero at any level on Patreon. So it's not like you have to pay $50 a month to get access to spoilers. If it's $1 a month, that's great. We're very grateful for that. If it's $50 a month, we're very grateful for that, too. So if you would like to become a hero to the podcast and have access to that cool stuff, then go to oncepodcast.com slash hero. And thank you for your support. Let's move on to talking about the present. 
starts out with everyone there in the town square in the underworld next to the clock. And they're, I guess since they can't use grannies for a briefing, they have to meet just in the middle of the street. <laughs> I liked that Hades referred to Rumple and Pan as the Stiltskins, as if that's their last name. Right. I don't know if I liked it. It was weird, but <laughs> it was fun. Well, that's how the entire fandom refer- refers to them. Oh, really? Yeah. Actually, when this was released as a sneak peek, and when I heard that, I remember asking the forums, okay, guys, they've been reading our forums again, haven't they? Because that's what we call them. <laughs> that's what everyone calls them is the Stiltskins. Nice. That's funny. One thing that I noted watching this with my travel schedule, I watched this episode and the previous episode, Sisters, back to back. And it just flowed better together than some other two-hour events we've seen. Because this scene, this opening scene, picks up right where it should have, leaving off from the previous episode. Yeah, and as Hades points out, this is basically happening maybe three hours or fewer right after the last episode. There are a lot of things in this season that feel like they are written just for me. (laughs) They're they're (laughs) calling attention to all these things that I would otherwise be calling attention to. (laughs) Like how Regina is suddenly the doting sister and it happened suddenly. Mm -hmm. I still question that whole thing just a little bit, but I liked the episode. Well, I want to know how... Emma or anyone else knew about the contract between Rumpel and Hades or that Belle is even pregnant. They haven't talked to Belle or anyone except themselves. Maybe they heard it through the withered grapevine? Yes. <laughs> I didn't think a ransom note was terribly Stiltskin style. Don't they usually just appear and threaten? True. But it's better if you can share something. It's true. I did love when Hades appeared and... He was trying to ask for help, and he says, I'm here for your, wow, this is hard, (laughs) help. (laughs) Yeah, loved seeing that. He's he's having to step down several levels from his high horse or his high throne that he's put himself up on. His low throne. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, he can't believe that he actually has to ask the Savior for help, which is all kind of awesome and cosmic. I love it. (laughs) So Emma agrees to help, and then Hades meets with the Stiltskins, which sounds like it would be a great TV show, by the way. The Stiltskins. A (laughs) spinoff written by Kitsis and Horowitz. But it's a comedy. Yeah. (laughs) The hilarious tale of a father and his son. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Who kill each other and cheat death over and over and over, but they never learn. And they will always be family. (laughs) But anyway, um, a little production thing here is I do kind of wonder how many times did Greg German, who plays Hades, have to rip that contract in half for it to rip all the way down the middle like that? Like when I try and rip a paper like that, I end up with a corner. (laughs) How often do you try that? Oh, I'm ripping up contracts all the time. (laughs) (laughs) But Pan said, my body's ready to walk the earth again. If you jump forward to what we know about Hook not being able to leave, it's because, well, his body is rotting and uh, he has been dead for a while. Pan has been dead for even longer. 
But when Pan died, there was no body. There wasn't, but I don't think that the absence of a body in the real world somehow means that the actual body itself was taken to the underworld. Otherwise, vaporization is the way to go if you think you might want to come back. <laughs> yeah. And Pan and Rumple have magic, but Emma's magic is stronger. Well, yeah. That's how it should she's, be. She's true love incarnate. She's the savior. Yeah. It should be the most powerful magic of all. Yeah, and I can see that. Pan and Rumple were both imbued with magic by choice. Yes, it is very, very powerful magic, but Emma's stronger. That's cool to see. And we got to see the true love's kiss. Hashtag Zadies. <laughs> and that was another season one parallel to me because it happened so early in the episode that it was almost unexpected. Mm-hmm. And it started this earthquake and series of earthquakes with the underworld. So I'm wondering, is the underworld going to crumble? Like, is this fake storybook in the underworld going to crumble and it's now going to be just the underworld, however it was originally before Hades met Zelina? That's a good question. I think so, because Hades does say that later that the underworld will continue to function, but as it's meant to. So I imagine that it will just revert to whatever it was before he messed with it. Yeah. I wonder how Corella will feel about that. As long as it has gin, I think she's okay. (laughs) (laughs) But this does raise a couple questions about Hades' plan and what he's been doing all season. Because he can now leave the underworld, but at the same time, he has always believed that he and Zelina had true love. So why did it matter if he kept souls in the underworld? Is it a backup plan? Because if it is, then he doubts true love and then shouldn't that make it not true love well we've had a little bit of late arc course correction in the last couple episodes i've noticed Uh, this being one of the big ones but it's one at least that was sort of logical and hinted at early on suddenly now their decay he doesn't see as good enough for her and that actually makes sense because we've been questioning Well, you wanted to leave before, so why now do you want to just stay there and build fake Storybrooke with Zelina? So, but I I do still, is it just as simple as Cruella's motivation? She just wants someone there to torment, so is that all he wanted? I think he now sees an opportunity, and that is to get to actual Storybrooke. When that wasn't Mm -hmm. even an option or even a thought before, it was, this is all I have. But it'll be our decay. Right. But before that, he had wanted to leave. So then the question was, why doesn't he want to leave now? But now he does. So maybe there was some lack of supervision somewhere in the middle. I don't know. (laughs) But when he says it's our decay, he's still expecting that they're going to have true love's kiss, which he knows will restart his heart. And he knows will lift this banishment from the underworld. So, yeah, I don't know why he's so concerned a couple episodes ago with the fact that hope is starting to spring and souls are leaving and flowers are growing. Maybe he thought that was the only way he could give Zelina Storybrooke, but they would vacation a lot. And now (laughs) they can actually have the real Storybrooke as long as they trap the heroes in the underworld so they don't have to vacation as much. Uh (laughs) (laughs) Well, as long as he took his sunscreen, because the sun in our world isn't nearly so red. That is true. 
I think the way this is working is that it is true love, but, and unfortunately, he's just like Rumpelstiltskin. He loves her in his own twisted way, and he's lying to her minimally and doesn't intend her any harm, but he's lying to everyone else, regardless of how she feels about them Mm. and trying to hurt them. (laughs) It's something we've seen a lot so I'm expecting some kind of alternative resolution in the next couple weeks. Well, just something to keep in mind with what you just said, and I'll bring this up when we actually get to this scene in a little bit from now, but there's a question of whether or not Hades actually did all the things the heroes accuse him of at the end of the episode. And it has to do with the way they set up some of these tests and these plot points. Oh, interesting. So maybe he didn't cut down the tree. Right. Uh-huh. But, uh, but we, we shall get there, my friend. We shall. Hmm. So do you think this kiss does actually change him? Physically, yes, because his heart does start beating. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know. There's a question of whether or not people can fundamentally change in this episode. Because Hook starts off questioning, you know, is it even possible for Zelina to change? And then they question whether or not Hades can change. You know, and this is coming from a guy, Hook, who has changed pretty rapidly through the power of love. So for him to question it is a little ironic. Right. I think Hades is still Hades. I don't know that he's changed, but I don't know that he's a straight up villain. I mean, I think it might actually be enough for him to just be with Zelina and be a family. But there's just this tiny little part of him that still wants to take over Storybrooke or whatever. One of our listeners, Honest Truth from Heart, sent in this saying, quote, The evidence of Hades' transformation is the following. One, he rips up the contract, giving away power over Rumble in order to save Zelina. Two, True love's kiss does work. We are very clearly shown it does. So this means Hades does have love towards Zelina as he claims to. Three, he did remove the names on the headstones as he promised to Emma, allowing the possibility for all the heroes to return home. He even shares the information about the portal. Four, he is not the one to suggest leaving right away with the baby. Zelina does. Hades seemed fully prepared to stay and wait for Emma and Hook. Five, finally, when Hades looks back before entering the portal, he has a look of concern, and it seems to be for the heroes, not concern of them, unquote. Mm. What do you think? Yeah, there's an element of free choice here, because we'll see this later in the episode. The heroes claim that Hades traps them in the library, but they're the ones that run back into the library. And unless Hades has some sort of foreshadowing prescience ability that we haven't learned about, how does he know they're going to go back into the library? Well, they got knocked back in. But how does he even know that's going to happen? I mean, how does he know any of this is going to happen? And I assumed the idea was that he gave them a spell, maybe not for the knocking, but for sealing the door. Just just any door, you're saying. Like, yeah. Hades says, okay, here's this spell or here's this magic I'm imbuing you with, and this will allow you to trap them somewhere. Right. Plus, they're all supposed to be waiting for people to get back up the elevator, so it makes sense they would be near the elevator if it were somehow location-specific. Yeah. 
And I, I had the same thought. It, it didn't make sense. <laughs> you know, as much as we've seen through the years, Regina have to learn her magic. She's still pretty powerful. So the idea that the blind witch could suddenly just trap them and win didn't make any sense to me. And then they sort of offered a different explanation that does make sense, but maybe that's part of the trick. Maybe somebody else helped her, not Hades. This is something else that Honest Truth from Heart said. I truly believe that Hades has changed. We have seen true love do amazing things. Going back to the episode Skin Deep, we could see that Belle's kiss was changing Rumpel. This half of the season has really set up the parallels for Rumbel and Zadies. Even with his true love for Belle, Rumpel still chooses that dark power. However, he has his own heart. It was never taken from him or removed, as with Korra or Hades, where his heart was literally stopped. Mm -hmm. So if we look at Hades in the same category as Korra and not Rumpel, it seems like his heart starting again should change him as Korra changed when she got her heart back. Right. Uh, Yeah, there again. There were some things that were just Korra that were present before her heart. I mean, she took her own heart out. So it wasn't taken from her. She just sort of, I suppose, abused the absence of her heart (laughs) to the point where she didn't realize what it could mean if she put it back in and didn't want to put it back in. So there there is that possibility, but there's still some stuff that's just him. And the question is, what effect does that have? Is it make is it is he devious? I think he probably is. I don't think having not having his heart beating causes him to be devious or changes his desires, but it may dull his ability to love. And maybe with that winning, with his love for Zelina taking over, maybe that changes him. But there's still going to be some stuff that's just him. Hmm. I like the comparison with Cora. Because even with her heart, Cora really only cares about two people, and those are her daughters. It's not like she has concern for everybody else. So that could be what's going on with Hades. He cares about himself and Zelina and baby Pistachio. <laughs> Everyone else can kind of fend for themselves as far as he's concerned. So they go to the cemetery portal, or what's about to become a portal. And this is where some things kind of break, start to break down a little bit, like... Emma's heart could be taken? Well, yes, but even before that, why in the heck is the clock tower in the cemetery? <laughs> How did it get there? Because it makes a perfect portal, and they didn't want to have the portal in the middle of town. That wouldn't be perfect. Yeah, but it should have. <laughs> Maybe the cemetery is the entry point, and the clock tower is somehow iconic of Underbrook at <laughs> Uh, well, really, it is iconic of Underbrook. Honestly, we've it's kind of been like, the whole season's been like, why is the clock tower in the street? <laughs> and it almost feels like they wanted it to be a portal eventually, and then somewhere along the lines they went, oh man, this can't be in the middle of town, that doesn't make any sense, and they moved it. <laughs> well, and it does actually move later on in the episode when you see the town square. The the clock tower is not there. Oh, I didn't notice. So they, they were consistent <laughs> with that, that was pretty cool. But... Emma's heart could be taken, and I don't think this is as much of a problem as we might think it is, because back in season two, when Cora tried to take Emma's heart, it couldn't be taken. Emma was probably not thinking thoughts of, I'm willing to sacrifice my heart, or I want my heart to be taken out so that it can be split. I think what makes a difference here is that Emma 
chose to let her heart be taken. And so that's how it could be taken out so easily. And this this thing is dripping with metaphor. (laughs) The whole sequence was, it was almost painful to watch. They rip out her heart, rip it in half. She shoves half of it at hook and that just hurts. (laughs) And then she gets the whole thing shoved back in (laughs) all within like 10 seconds (laughs) or less. I do agree that Emma's heart in this case was probably able to be taken because she allowed it. However, the second time her heart is taken later in this episode, it's not with any kind of permission. Hades just literally throws his hand into her chest and pulls it out to her shock and dismay. That's true. So I don't know. It feels like they kind of went back on that brilliant episode, Queen of Hearts from season two. It would have actually been an interesting moment if he had tried and got stuck like Cora did and <laughs> yeah. remarked on how special she is. Yeah. And then she was like, well, okay, I get the idea and takes it out and puts it in the bag. He really shouldn't have been able to take it. And not just even from um, a canon standpoint. I'm thinking again about these cosmic archetypes about the savior and the Lord of the underworld, who is this representation right. of, of chaos and destruction. Like if, He's not supposed to be able to take the Savior's heart. (laughs) It bothers me that he was able to do this. Yeah. And I was disappointed that her heart didn't look more special because we've never seen her heart before. (laughs) Cora couldn't take it out. We've seen Rumpelstiltskin's heart turn completely black and then be bleached and turn completely white and put back in him. We'd never seen Emma's heart before this. So I was... Hoping for something a bit more special. But honestly, it's a human heart. They've done some really weird stuff with hearts. I get that they're enchanted when they're taken out, but the rest of the time they're just hearts. They're in their bodies. Even the darkening, not darkening stuff has been kind of weird. But, I mean, it's enchanted somehow or it wouldn't be beating and keeping them alive on the outside. And her son has the heart of the truest believer, which, if I remember correctly, looked kind of different, too. It was kind of goldy, I think. Uh, Yeah. But this actually was another one of those scenes I felt like was written for me. (laughs) 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 Because, and not really, but it didn't work. (laughs) And it was completely logical. It was obvious to Hades. It was kind of like, yeah, I mean, he's, he's dead. He's been dead a while. Like, this is how, what? (laughs) Why would you think this would work is kind of the impression I got. And that's what I've been saying since she said it last winter. And she kept saying, it's a good plan. It could work. Well, no, not really. He's not, that's not him. That's his soul. He's not, his body's not even there. What are you putting the heart into? That doesn't make any sense. So I loved that it didn't work just for that reason. Like whatever else, all other resolutions and plot points aside, I was quite satisfied with that moment. But did you think it's weird that apparently souls have some kind of timetable? Like they don't leave the body immediately. They hang around for a few minutes. Well, especially if they have unfinished business. They try to settle it as quickly as they can or they try to figure it out, I think, and then they just have to go. Well, it's kind of like the 10-second rule. Germs don't get on your food. If you pick up your food within 10 seconds, the germs just sit around waiting, counting down from 10. 
And once 10 hits, then all the germs jump on the food. That's the way souls work. Wow. At least in Once Upon a Time lore. Well, maybe there's an unseen portal and it's like pulling on the soul. <laughs> that kind of sounds scary. Leave the world <laughs> so you can come settle your unfinished business here. I don't know. Charming was dead for more than a minute or so, right? I think so. No, it was I mean, about he was... a minute. Oh, really? wait, yeah. Because yeah. he didn't die till they just yanked his heart. Right. Emma right. pulled his heart out. Snow. And Snow. Yeah, Snow. And then Snow used it in Casting the Curse in season three. And then uh, Snow was crying, so it's maybe a minute, a couple minutes. And then Snow realized, wait a minute, Regina split my heart. And then that's it. So a couple minutes. She only got the revelation after Zelina zoomed into the room and dropped the memory part into the stew. Yeah. So I, I don't know. I mean, I think it's I think it's not entirely accurate to say that it was only a minute or two. It was definitely a little bit longer than that. But again, it goes back to this question of souls apparently have timetables and they know exactly when to depart the body. <laughs> yeah. So we were talking about um, how a man can't change that quickly. Because we've been questioning whether or not Hades has actually changed. And Slurpees sent in some feedback. And she wrote, I think the entire notion of a woman being able to change a man is very problematic, both in the case of Rumpel, Belle, and Hades, Zelina. Just look at Zelina and Hades. They're now being lauded as true love, even though Hades just tried to trap Zelina's sister and baby daddy in the underworld. Zelina thinks Hades has changed for her, but all he has done is get what he always wanted, for Zelina to break his curse so that he could leave. He also entrapped the heroes in the process. Sure, he said he'd do anything for her, like breaking the contract, but it wasn't all that sacrificial for him. He got something out of it, his passport to freedom, in the form of his defrosted heart. <laughs> Zelina being in love with Hades is probably the cherry on top, but I don't think it's a sacrifice on his part by any stretch of the imagination. Right. I I mean, yeah, this this whole thing was so glaring just from the wording, I'm surprised it made it into the final draft. Hmm. I I can I can change him. Like I thought that was the thing that you always have to tell people not to try to do. If he it, there's one it's one thing if he has expressed that he is trying to change and being patient with him as he tries to change. That's one thing. But just being like, he's kind of an evil dude, but he loves me, and I think I love him, and I'm going to go try and change him. That's just like, what? And this show as a whole has dealt with different issues here, that some of them have been kind of gray, some of them kind of black and white. But one of the things is in this modern era that we live in, there's this notion that the you know the princess only needs her Prince Charming, and then she lives happily ever after. Her Prince Charming is her happy ending. Once Upon a Time has certainly encountered that in many ways and shown that, no, it's not just uh, your happy ending is not merely a person. And at the same time, though, Once Upon a Time is also all about hope and true love. So they have two kind of conflicting things going on here. And I think true love could change Hades. I don't think simply Zelina can change him. He needs to change himself. And I don't think we're going to see that. I think he's yeah. going to remain evil. And these final few episodes we have in the season, Hades will still be the villain now inside of Storybrooke. And as always, I mean, there's that extra magical component that makes the whole question of is this right or wrong very confusing because there's 
there's that factor he has that no one in the real world has with the stopped heart and everything. So the notion of trying to help him, sure, that's fine. Restart his heart, see what he's like then. But yeah, everything else is problematic. But he tells this this loophole for once in the past, we think we heard this rumor that someone was able to come to the underworld and bring someone back from the dead. And that's the story of Orpheus and Eurydice and also Ambrosia. So let's cue the Jacqueline. <laughs> the Jacqueline. Thank you, the Daniel. <laughs> All right. So Orpheus and Eurydice are a pretty well-known mythology. They were a married couple and Orpheus was the son of Apollo, and that's kind of important. Apollo probably passed on his ability to play the lyre to Orpheus, and that's going to come in handy here in a minute. So Eurydice was walking through a field one day, and she died because she was um, bitten by a snake, usually a viper. And Orpheus took out his lyre, and he played an incredibly sad song that made all the nymphs of the world cry for his over his grief. And they told him that he should go to the underworld and retrieve Eurydice. And they kind of gave him instructions on how to do this. So Orpheus went down to the underworld and he approached Hades and Persephone. And he played them his lyre, his music. And the music was so beautiful and sad that it moved the lord and lady of the underworld to release Eurydice. Which was kind of a big deal because Hades, as I've said in the past, was pretty unyielding. He... Once he decided what was happening to you, you, you didn't get out. You, that was your fate. And the one condition, though, for releasing Eurydice was that she had to walk behind Orpheus the entire time. And Orpheus was never allowed to turn around and look at Eurydice until they had both reached topside. Orpheus got to the top first because he was in the lead. And he, in his excitement, forgot. And he turned around and he looked at Eurydice steps before she was topside and she was pulled back into the underworld and had to remain there forever and that's the story of orpheus and eurydice and i can't remember this but have you mentioned the story of them before or was that someone else that went to the underworld i've mentioned it before yeah um, because now i remember it yeah it's definitely something that they've been doing with hook and emma this season um, when we learned that she was going to the underworld at the end of winter, actually, I think I actually mentioned Orpheus and Eurydice as being a pretty heavy parallel. What about Ambrosia? I have no idea why Ambrosia is part of this myth that Hades tells them. It doesn't occur in the Greek, and even in some um, different versions like the Latin one by Virgil, there's still no mention of Ambrosia. But Ambrosia literally means immortality. It usually goes hand-in-hand hand with nectar, and it is either the food or the drink, depending on the myth you're reading, of the gods. And it is considered the divine food. While they will partake of animal sacrifices that the Greek everyday people offer up, they stick with nectar and ambrosia as their divine food. Hmm. Interesting. And we'll have some links in the show notes at oncepodcast.com slash 248 if you want to read up some more on some of these things. And it takes you to Wikipedia, and then Wikipedia can take you to a lot of other great places where you can read the actual scripts and all of that kind of stuff. That's why we have Jacqueline on this, though, to bring, <laughs> bring this great depth to us. I am basically and- Wikipedia. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Hashtag hire the nerd. <laughs> and Jacqueline, I'm sure you were probably thrilled when they said, it's not hell, 
and it's not the devil. I did. I, I was very, very grateful that Zelina pointed that out to them. Thank you, Zelina. But it's funny because they can't resist having someone draw the parallel <laughs> every single time they get a chance. Well, yeah, it's an easy <laughs> parallel to draw. Meanwhile, Rumple attempts what he thinks is true love's kiss over on Belle, and it doesn't work. <laughs> and in our initial reactions, I know we were saying, well, it didn't work because of who? Because of Belle or because of Rumple? And I think rewatching this episode, in this episode, they make it obvious that it didn't work because of Belle. And they said that Belle doesn't accept Rumple for who he is. But I, I think there's a big difference here in what true love is. Yes, true love is accepting people for who they are, but not accepting their choices necessarily, like their bad choices. Rumpel chose to become the dark one. He regularly chooses to feed his nasty habits, and he's chosen to continue using dark magic. So even if he was born this way, he would still have a choice to confront and overcome his weaknesses. So I can understand Bell needing to accept him as he's the dark one, but that doesn't mean he has to do those nasty things. This year, he's like, yeah, love me and be my enabler. Yeah. Yeah. You can love the drug addict, but hate the the horrible, nasty stuff that they do and abusing themselves and abusing others. You can still love them and accept them for who they are. We are not the mistakes we make. Oh, isn't that good news, by the way? <laughs> <laughs> so Rumpel is not... He's... It's not... I, I just don't like how they're they're framing this, that Belle has to accept Rumpel and all of his evil deeds that he does. Yes, she needs to accept him as who he actually is, not the bad choices he's making. I agree. I didn't like the way that was phrased because Belle has said in the past, I love him, even the parts of him that belong to the darkness. Yeah. I don't think it's a matter of Rumpel being the dark one. I think it's a matter of what he does when he's the dark one, that gives her pause, as it should, because Rumple stopped killing the peasants. <laughs> but yeah, this was this was phrased weird, and I'm still not 100% sure why it didn't work. Because she does accept him as the Dark One, she just doesn't accept the choices he, he makes. So it does go back to those questions that you raised in the initial reactions. Whose fault is it that it doesn't work? And I kind of want to place the blame on Rumple. I usually do. <laughs> it, it's a safe bet it's it's just so funny they there are so many mechanics and rules and things to all of these things that at this point let him kiss let's see if it works i don't know the only rule that ever was in the original fairy tales that i learned growing up is the rule that they threw out which it was always true love's first kiss but you can't use it over and over and over again to break every curse known to anyone if you keep that rule. <laughs> Here's how I think this can be reconciled. Even if they have true love, Rumpel's heart is darkening again because of his dark deeds that he's doing. And maybe that's getting in the way of being able to awaken Belle from the sleeping curse. So in that sense, it is Rumpel's fault. It's not his fault in that he doesn't truly love Belle or that Belle doesn't truly love him, but it's his fault in how he's darkened his heart. Do you know why I have a problem with that, though? Why? So 
in Skin Deep, when they have their first kiss, we're looking at a Rumpelstiltskin who has been the Dark One for about 100 to 150 years. So this is after he's murdered the guards and the handmaiden, after everything with Korra and all the lies and deceptions and manipulations. His heart is probably pretty dark at that point. And True Love's Kiss started to work. Yeah, because in those days they knew it was a curse. But... The Dark One Deary did send in some feedback about how this might get resolved. At this point, for me, the only way I'll be happy with the resolution to this plot is if Rumpel gets rid of his darkness for good somehow, only Zeus knows how, and then that sacrifice leads to him waking Belle up. To me, it makes sense that their relationship has changed, so True Love's kiss is no longer there at the moment. And they have been setting this up for a whole half season. Rumpel has to change for her. And I think he will and wake her by the end. And yes, this would mean that she doesn't really love both the beast and the man, and it would prove Rumpel wrong. I think at this point, it's the only way the story can go for me to be okay with it. Hmm. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. So back at the library, as they're sitting around waiting for everyone to get back, This is when Hades mentions that the underworld will continue to function as it was supposed to and allowing people to finish their unfinished business without any hindrance from him. So it kind of makes me wonder if we'll get any kind of backstory or what kind of story there would be to seeing Hades take over the underworld. That could be kind of cool. One of my favorite episodes of the series is Welcome to Storybrooke where we get to see Storybrooke appear in Maine from the Land Without Magic perspective. And maybe we'll get to see some kind of backstory like that, or it could be cool. They probably won't do it, but they might, because it could fit in. I could see, and I know Jacqueline would need to be silent if she knows something, but Uh it could be cool to see Hades arriving in the underworld, taking control, and then creating the Underbrook. It could be. I think... This might be some one of those foggy areas where they just don't expand too much on what the underworld looks like or functions as without him. I would also really like to see what Daniel is proposing because we had so many theories at the beginning of this arc about whether or not this meant Hades created the dark curse. And it's looking more and more like potentially that's not the case. Yeah. But it would be nice if we could see Hades arriving in the underworld and making it into Underbrook because, oh, I just happened to have this bottle of a dark curse in my pocket that I conveniently created 3,000 years ago. Mm. Yeah. At least it would answer the question. It's almost, to me, it's almost more like he just constructed a facade and it started breaking apart just because of the decay. And so then the cones got put in place and the tower broke and things like that. Well... Was anyone else kind of confused about Henry's powers? I was confused about Henry's powers of uh, the mental kind. (laughs) Because, I mean, cool, I'm glad you want to help everyone, but the underworld's not a place they were ever supposed to go. And turns out there was something wrong there, but for all they can tell, that thing that is wrong, namely Hades, is being removed. So why is Henry... I mean, they've been in basically an impossible situation for days, and now it's kind of coming to a resolution, and Henry's like, but what about all the dead people? I gotta help them. Well, let let the place do what it's supposed to do. They'll be okay. I mean, that's noble and everything, but I didn't understand his sudden 
no, we got to stay here and blah, 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 blah. What about the people back in the real world? You got to go help them too. Well, I don't understand how this is a function of the author's powers. Yeah. The the pen, Bob, is supposed to write <laughs> what's happening. Like he's supposed to, it's just supposed to record the stories. But Henry is now using his author powers and Bob to give people their unfinished business because they don't know what it is. So, I mean, is he recording stories that will illuminate the people like Stealthy and go, oh, right, that's my unfinished business. I yeah. I was very confused as to why this was a part of his powers. That's true. Well, and he's clearly learned how to control these powers a lot more in order to be able to write these stories at all. Because previously it was just he had no control. He was writing the stories as they were happening and... He just wrote whatever came out. Now he can be much more intentional, which makes me wonder because he's probably taking the the pen and the ink back to Storybrooke. How's so he going to do that? Can he do anything up there? Is he going to split his heart? Oh, wait, that doesn't work. Did he find some other living inanimate object to sp- sort of split its heart? But in the real world, before Bob's soul left the little pen carcass and went down to the underworld huh i think my questions are probably pointless yes well daniel and i had kind of joked that the pen would never be able to move on because it would always have unfinished business because there's always another story to tell so i kind of think he probably took the pen back to storybrooke and he's he's got all those empty books in the sorcerer's mansion I don't know what he's going to do with it because he kind of seems to have given up there at the end, but they're there. I think he needs to make sure that pen never sees the broken pieces of its former carcass. <laughs> it may go crazy and start writing nursery rhymes about babies falling out of trees. How terrifying. <laughs> Breaking boughs and all that stuff. That's where That's the origin of nursery rhymes. What do you think... About their trusting Zelina. I mean, do you think that, yes, she is trustworthy or no? Well, it looks from all the emoting they've asked him to do like she is trustworthy. However, I don't know that a sudden memory of, oh, we were friends for a couple of days when we were kids and you actually did want a sister. That's cool. I don't think that changes who she is fundamentally. And I think she wants to change and all that stuff, but... I mean, I just don't know why it's such a profound change on their characters to have those memories back. Yeah, and I think Regina and the show as a whole is really underplaying what happened to Robin. I mean, they've never acknowledged and said out loud what Zelina did to him. I mean, when you really pick this apart and look at the bare bones, okay, they've made sisterly advances, that's really nice, but Regina is asking Robin to hand over his child to the woman who basically sexually assaulted him. And there are, okay, we're not talking actual reality here because this is a fictional show and they're making situations that can't exist in our world. As they do. Yeah. So I understand people calling it rape, but I don't think it's technically rape because it was consensual. It's just he was under the the assumption that it was someone else, and that it was actually his wife. That's where real world, 
that's where it's it's almost just an unfair thing to even have put in the plot because in the real world there's little to no chance that you're going to think that someone is someone else entirely because they've completely changed everything about themselves to appear to be somebody else so nonetheless though Zelina did take advantage of him that's for sure she wrongfully took advantage of him whether you want to call that assault or um, rape or say that it was simply deception i mean that's up to you for how you want to call that but she did definitely wrong him and maybe that's maybe if magic were real and that were a possible thing maybe that is how we would define it i don't know (laughs) so i can understand robin having to take a moment because maybe he's thinking all of that i mean maybe he's there saying but she raped me no wait it's not really rape it's more like (laughs) i i need a moment to figure this out she did an evil evil vile disgusting disturbing violating thing and he's trusting regina who is for some reason trusting zelina who is for some reason trusting hades so in a sense, the woman he loves just asked him to hand his daughter over to the Lord of the Underworld. Yeah. Who they've only trusted for about 30 minutes because Zelina they've trusted for three hours. And who secretly, it seems, is not trustworthy. Zelina? Well, or Hades. Uh, Hades, yeah. that is. Zelina, I think, I think we can trust Zelina. I don't think we can trust Hades. Can we trust Zelina when she's with Hades, though? that's tough now on on the other side of that would he want the baby for anything now that there's a portal anyway you'd be surprised at the number of spells (laughs) 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 but the portal only takes them to storybrook and it's not a time traveling portal right Right. so he may still want her baby i don't know Mm. so they come up with this plan for henry to uh hand out these stories and unfinished business and help everyone. And we talked about that a little bit already. I noticed some interesting newspaper headlines on the library door behind. Uh, The underworld apparently gets home phone and internet bundled for only $49.95 per month. But there were a couple headlines that were a little bit interesting. Uh, One of them says Jolly Rogers rallies to plunder Redskins sports team but it says jolly rogers that was oh my goodness uh and then there was a headline that says quote this isn't who we are unquote pm denounces pepper attacks (laughs) and a protester says warning scary and there's a picture of the word fur with the like forbidden or no sign over it like no fur fur is forbidden And uh, the protester in that case, if those headlines were intentionally written, I'm guessing that protester was Cruella. And on the page that we do get to see of Henry's writing, there's a story about Darius. It's not all legible because of the blurring and the camera focus and the definition of the video and such. But it mentions that um, Darius was something rather irrational and severe phobia. The mere sight of miscellaneous bugs that were wont to crawl across the wooden floor would cause poor Darius to run, armed something of wild panic. Uh, some other 
things that are a little bit hard to make out. Darius's behavior was pressing concern among the council of the elders. One of them, a well-known hedge witch called something Maggie, made a potion that she maintained would diminish Darius's affliction. Darius did indeed take the potion, but he was told that its effect would be improved if he was able to harness the something in his soul. Darius decided to be brave, and eventually he was able to do something else, run a jamboree up his arm without so much something else. It's it's a bit hard to read, but... Darius is stuck in the underworld forever. <laughs> yeah. Wow. You got no hope, boy. That's... Wow. Huh. Henry, go home. <laughs> I don't know what you're even doing anymore. It was noble-ish. That's right, Vermin. Scatter. <laughs> I love her. (laughs) Fuzzy and Kitty to make quite a team. Matthew Paul wrote that there's something very fitting about the underworld now being ruled by someone who literally has this surname, DeVille. Nice. Uh, But doesn't, I mean, does this mean anybody with magic who dies and goes to the underworld can just take over and start causing problems? Or that they have magic when they die? Yeah. <laughs> I know. We we haven't really touched that this whole half of the season, but that is another one of those odd things. The magic. In fact, why does she look soul. she got all messed up by the ink, so why does she still look like that in the underworld anyway? Well, you know what they say. Your questions are pointless. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe in the underworld the soul appears how you want it to appear. And she just got used to the whole black and white look. Yeah, probably. That's my guess. Because Cora, when Cora was summoned in the episode Bleeding Through, it was young Cora, played by Rose McGowan. But in this story arc of being in the underworld, it's older Cora, played <laughs> by uh, Barbara Hershey. <laughs> so <laughs> she appeared young for a while and then she appeared older. And then Hades made her appear as the Miller's daughter. which apparently is now a full-fledged position in life, complete with a job description. In in eternity. Yeah. Between life and death. (laughs) Right. Emma and Hook go down to the basement of the underworld uh, for this little true love test. And Jacqueline, is this like any particular level that we know of, of Greek mythology and, and that kind of thing? I would assume that it's Tartarus, but it's a little too pretty for that. <laughs> and pretty. there are no Titans chained anywhere. So I don't know. It's just some level that is apparently very deep in the ground. I thought the test of true love was really nice. It's basically, could Emma be willing to sacrifice herself in order to save the one she loves, which is really the ultimate test of true love. And, it reminds me of, you probably can guess this, a Bible verse says, uh, John fifteen thirteen. greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. And that's what Emma was willing to do, sacrifice her life. She didn't know if she would live, but she knew that she needed to save Hook. And a nice little test of true love. I kind of wonder if the test was still going after the door opened. Huh. Because Hook gave Emma up so that she could go on and live and escape the underworld. He sacrificed himself. That was an act of true love. 
Now the circle is complete. <laughs> They've both proven their true love for each other. That goes into <laughs> my theory about this room. I I liked how the scene ended up. I didn't so much like as she's getting ready to put her heart on the scale. Hook going, are you saying that what we have is like? Are you kidding me, dude? What has all this been about? If you guys are just kind of not sure that it's true love, <laughs> this what? Gosh, this guy, why? But uh, apparently it's okay. What goes on the other side of the scale, though? Uh, the ooh, statue ooh, from I know, Indiana I know. Jones. No. Oh. <laughs> or it has something to do with a really cool piece of Egyptian mythology. What is Egyptian? that? Egyptian. Egyptian. It's not Greek this time, guys. <laughs> so there is actually something in Egyptian mythology called the Judgment of the Heart. And it has to do with the goddess Ma'at, who is the personification of truth, justice, and harmony. And every soul who dies goes down to the underworld, and you have your heart judged on a set of scales in a ritual known as the wane of the heart. Your heart is placed on one side of the scale, and on the other is a feather, the feather of Ma'at. And if your heart weighs less or equal to the feather, you've led a good life and you get to move on. If your heart weighs more than the feather, then it is given to the devourer of the dead, who is Amit, who is a hippo, lion, and crocodile creature, and he eats your heart and you are denied entrance into the next life. Gosh. (laughs) No pressure. (laughs) So do you think they intentionally pulled in some of that Egyptian mythology or did they just think, oh, it'd be a nice idea? Well, it felt weird to me that it was a scale that they left conspicuously empty on one side instead of just a pedestal or something. Yeah, I think it was kind of intentional. So to get back to the actual true love test, though, I think this is really weird. And just a little caveat, this has nothing to do with the fact that I do not ship Captain Swan. They went with true love, that's fine, but I think this is a really weird way to confirm it. Because Emma's the savior. She's going to be willing to give up her life for anyone. Interesting. So I'm not saying that she doesn't love Hook and that they don't have true love, but in terms of confirming it, this is weird because, one, Emma's very essence is true love incarnate. Her heart should be enough. It's already full of true love because that's literally what Emma is. Hmm. And two... If you substitute Hook out for anybody, Snow, Charming, Hmm. Regina, even some of our more minor characters like Ruby, Granny, or Elsa, Emma would do the same thing. She would absolutely hug tackle them to save them (laughs) from the fire. So, (laughs) The fire that was not in a fixed location and had no guarantee of being put out by that action, by the way. (laughs) So... I'm I'm okay with this whole confirming Captain Swan is true love. Okay, fine. I just think they went about it in a very bizarre manner. Because if you take out Hook, it could be with anybody. And suddenly, Emma's got true love with anybody. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess, look what we'd have thought if, no matter who it was, if she'd gone for her heart when there was a chance to save the person that was trying to save her. Right. Emma but, wouldn't oh. do that. Yeah. She saves people. She sacrifices herself for others. It's just part of her cosmic nature. So, yeah, I thought this was 
just a weird way to go about doing this. Really, any of the heroes, that's true. Right. I mean, I could see Regina doing it for Emma, and I could see Regina even doing it for Snow after everything they've been through. I could see Hook not only doing it for Emma, but Hook doing it for Henry. So it's it's a weird test. At least if what you're judging is true love for that specific person. Right. If they're just judging the quality of her heart, I suppose it works. But they set it up in the dialogue right before that as a test of what they shared. Right, of romantic true love. And that's even what the little plaque says, that um, only a heart filled with true love can pass. I thought it was the penitent man will pass. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, wrong movie. (laughs) Which, by the way, Hook learned ancient Greek in the Royal Navy. Yeah. I went about doing it wrong then, because I I spent six years in an institution, you know, buried in a library, so. (laughs) I'm picturing two-story high bookshelves, just some dust in the air and the sunlight coming through the floor-to-ceiling windows, and one person at a table alone in the middle of the library studying, and that's Jacqueline. I didn't have sunlight. (laughs) I was. <laughs> now we know. <laughs> I was in a dark abyss, surrounded by ancient playwrights. It was the Bible. It wasn't very fun for me. Um, <laughs> so I had this sneaking suspicion because we actually have a screenshot of the plaque and the ancient Greek, and I had a sneaking suspicion when I looked at it that they had just gone to Google Translate and typed in what they wanted in English. And it turns out that's what they did because I actually checked. (laughs) Because the Greek here is a little weird. A lot of these words aren't ancient. They're using words that don't actually exist in ancient Greek, but they do exist like in modern Greek. Another translation of that is, I need frozen yogurt. (laughs) I know... I know from my own uh, biblical studies that there are multiple words that we would translate as love. Yes. And the word they're using here is agape, um, which has a connotation of being sort of the highest form of love, especially between God and man. And it gets, it's the word for um, love that gets used in the New Testament. And, and I can understand them using that translation of it because – what higher form of love is there than to sacrifice your life for someone else? Right. I totally agree that agape is a good word to use here, especially when you've got the Savior standing there. I think it's a really good word to use. However, mpore is not a Greek word. (laughs) Um, I don't know where they got that, because the Greek verb they should have used would have been dunamai for to be able. But what do I know? (laughs) So I think that this... This test could work, yes, with with Granny, with Elsa, with anyone else that Emma was willing to sacrifice her life for to demonstrate her true love for others. I think that's what it was testing is, is there true love? Not is it true love between two romantic lovers, but is it is it just regardless of the nature of the relationship, is it true love? Right. Because, I mean, it's, it's confirmation of true love but at the same time you almost don't need anybody there it's not even a matter of let's substitute in somebody else because emma is still true love incarnate 
Yeah. No matter what, her heart should be able to open these chamber doors. So they could have put a bowl of turnips and an eggplant there, and Emma's heart would have unlocked the door anyway. And then there would have been this weird voice that was like, what are you even doing with the produce? You didn't need that. (laughs) Well, yes. And so I kind of like what you said about the test continuing as the doors open. I do and I don't. There were some conflicting feelings in this episode. And it may be nothing, but I felt (laughs) this is kind of silly. It's theorizing based on production. But this set of the cut down tree and the crumbling ambrosia, it felt more developed than what they would normally do on this show without an intent to use it again. Mm. It felt like we are in some capacity going to see that tree intact with unrotted fruit. Maybe when Hades leaves the underworld, stuff will continue to grow. Or even as a possibility, maybe we see from Hook's perspective, Emma leaving and with the test complete the tree is revealed. So it looks to be cut down, but it's not really. Hmm. Well, speaking of the tree, I mentioned earlier in this episode that there were some questions about whether or not Hades actually did all the stuff that the heroes accused him of. Right. So let's think about the test and the tree and what Hades said and what the heroes are accusing him of. (laughs) Um, Price of Magic made a lot of really great points about why she doesn't think Hades actually did any of this stuff. So she writes, I could be wrong, but when I watched the episode with the ambrosia tree and everyone was all Hades tricked us, I just didn't believe it. One, to get to the ambrosia tree, you have to have true love. Hades didn't. His heart was frozen, so there was no way he could pass the test to cut down the tree. Okay, I want to stop you there. Because he's the lord of the underworld. Maybe he was lying when he said that he'd never gone down there. Maybe being the lord of the underworld, he's able to go anywhere he wants. But there was no question before about him possibly having true love. So why would that even be a concern Like for him to not be able to pass it? So the Lord of the Underworld can go anywhere, but the Savior can't go anywhere? I know. I'm I sorry. Know. I'm, I'm okay. sorry. I'm, you know her what? cosmic you know significance means sa- a lot to me. You know what Rumpel says to me? The question is pointless. <laughs> I'm taking that button away from you. We're going to take it away from you. <laughs> it's my button. okay however but continue yes yes price of magic has more points two what would hades gain from it since selena is now on good terms with regina it would only put hades out of favor with her to deliberately trap regina with the others three hades has talked about his brother zeus in previous episodes whilst hades was the villain it made it sound like he was the bad guy and his brother Zeus was the hero. But if you view it as Hades wasn't such a bad guy, but was cursed by his brother, then you could see why Hades would be bitter about this. Plus, Rumpel's line, dark and light all depends on your point of view, seems like it could hint at something. At the moment, we're viewing Hades as the villain as dark and his brother is light. But what if it's the other way around? And we've certainly seen them do that kind of thing, reverse the roles of things that we would expect to be black and white and they make it white and black yeah (laughs) hades just feels like too convenient of an answer because there are these questions about how they set up the plot and how you get from point a to point b that don't seem to match with what hades said 
because his heart was frozen. It shouldn't have imbued any kind of true love to open these doors. And yes, I'm going to keep saying that Hades is bound by some kind of cosmic law that he shouldn't be able to usurp, even if he is the lord of the underworld, because it sounds like he was banished there, not like he was born into it. Right. And I'm, I'm going to be rubbed the wrong way if, if Hades can do anything willy-nilly in the underworld, but the savior can't. Yeah, I agree. So I think we just have to keep an open mind that maybe Hades didn't do any of this. Maybe. We'll find out in the upcoming episodes. Uh, but it does lead into this this goodbye that's another beautiful goodbye from Hook. And in fact... <laughs> Just promise me one thing. If I helped take off that arm and don't put it back on just because you can lose me. And then he promised Emma that he would move on. Yeah. So yeah. It, it feels really, really final to me. And I, Unless the next episode opens with Hook looking at the elevator going up. He hears a sound and he goes back in to see a beautiful tree of ambrosia. <laughs> right. Because he passed the test. And maybe we'll see that. I do have another idea uh, that I'll get into a little later, though. <laughs> well, I mean, raise your hand if you actually think this is a real goodbye, because nobody buys it. I mean, yeah, it was it was sweet and it was beautiful. And Colin and, and Jennifer acted beautifully and they, they did it well. But there is no way that hey, um, Hook isn't coming back topside. Yeah, but when they make such a beautiful goodbye like that. I feel like then they destroy the beauty of it by making that goodbye unnecessary. In a sense, there's a realism to it in that from the character's perspective, it was goodbye. So they're really feeling that. But as far as buy-in for the audience, how many times can you really do it? Even killing Pan, yeah. you know, it's like, it's the same thing. We've seen it before. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's whiplash because at the end of the first half of the season you had emma and hook having a tearful goodbye and then moments later i'm gonna go to the underworld and get him back now we're in the underworld and it's a tearful goodbye and then she's going back to storybrook and i have no doubt that at some point in the next couple episodes before the end of the season it'll be oh look hook's here huzzah <laughs> gareth gray said quote Although I think it would be better in some ways if Hook remains dead, I don't think that will happen. Although Henry is now out of the underworld and he has been told that he cannot write people back to life from the overworld and should not try, I think he might yet try. Seeing his mother heartbroken might be his motivation. I think too much has been set up and foreshadowed in this area for nothing to come of it. I think Henry will try and it will have disastrous consequences possibly season finale. If not that, then the ambrosia regrowing now that Hades is gone is about as good a loophole as any. I really hope the season finale cliffhanger doesn't hinge or the whole next season story arc doesn't hinge on Henry doing something stupid. Yeah. <laughs> but I can totally see, like we've already talked about, the ambrosia regrowing and it being that classic thing, you know, the hero dies in the explosion and then everyone starts to cry and then vroom, the hero flies out of the explosion <laughs> and yay, he's still alive. Yeah. And The other thing that lends itself to believing that, again, from a production standpoint, is the excuse of 
I don't want to say goodbye in front of everybody else to keep him down there while Emma left yeah. was a little thin to me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a really good point. After all, Emma and all of the heroes came down as living people mm-hmm. into the underworld. Hook is down there as a dead person. So if the ambrosia does work, it does regrow, and he's able to take it, I think he wouldn't need a portal. Now that's an interesting idea. Yeah. It just feels like he would, maybe he would say goodbye to her privately and then he'd go back up with her and try to help in any way he can, make sure she makes it out. I don't know. But he is, he is Hook, so I don't know. <laughs> if I were Emma's father, Hook would not be good enough for my daughter. <laughs> Sorry, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> but they do escape from the library and it was neat to see Emma and Regina using their magic together again (laughs) without having to stop and wonder if it would work yeah but um henry just leaves everything there the book and he says people will find them but there was a whole half of this season kind of devoted to this idea of finding hades's story and finding his weakness and that's how they were going to defeat him and hades has actually left the underworld so he's not defeated we still need to find a way to do that but henry left everything in the underworld True. I mean, it kind of felt like that plot went nowhere fast. Yeah. And probably because nothing that Henry wrote was actually of any use to be able to defend (laughs) against Hades or even to to stop him completely. So then is there no way to defeat Hades at all? There's got to be a way. I mean, I'm sure. Or has he been defeated already by love? (laughs) I still say Henry is the scribe, not the author. That's really what that position is. Mm-hmm. Hades is still a god. I mean, yes, he's in love, but the Greek gods weren't opposed to amorous behavior. So <laughs> I, I mean, there has to still be something else. And I kind of feel like, well, Henry, maybe if you took your supplies with you, we could figure this out. But his supply is dead. They had their own private goodbye that we didn't see. <laughs> I think he did take the quill and ink. I think he left the storybook. Right. I think Bob's with him. But right. isn't it a life for a life? <laughs> Maybe we're not supposed to think about that when it comes to the life of a pen. The if, life of Bob. If he kills a bird when he gets back topside, does that count? Is that good enough? <laughs> I don't know where oh my God. A, a magical quill's soul ranks on the soul scale. Who would have ever thought we'd be having questions and conversations like this? Like, can you bring a freaking quill back to life? (laughs) (laughs) Meanwhile, (laughs) Rumpel and Pan have their final face-off, and uh, they have this little conversation. I mentioned this in the initial reactions, but I got the two different sound clips for this. So here is from this episode. What Rumpel says to Pan. Villains don't get happy endings, Papa. And I'm here to make sure you never get Okay, that sounds extremely villainous to me. But <laughs> My goodness. Then going back to episode 311. Papa. Going home. This is what Rumpel said when he killed Pan right in front of everyone else in the town square. We can start over. We can have a happy ending. Ah, but I'm a villain. And villains don't get happy endings. 
Huh. It's pretty different between the two clips. Um, there's no tenderness, there's no remorse, and no heroism in the killing of Pan this time around. Right. And I remember back when 311 aired and we had our podcast and we talked about whether or not Rumpel was a villain in that moment. And we all kind of agreed that he was really heroic. And this this doesn't strike me as um, having a lot of heroism. Right. This was revenge. This was murder. It was mm-hmm. plotted, preconceived. Yeah. And, but love me, Belle. Love me like this. <laughs> <laughs> and in 311, you know, you watch Rumpel and it's no longer Pan. It's Malcolm at that point, his father. And Rumpel actually, you know, kisses Malcolm's forehead goodbye because it's a way of forgiving his father for all the abandonment and the hurt over the years. And it, it was, you know, really kind of a beautiful thing to watch. And this was just, I was just cringing. Yeah. Plus, there was my my internal conflict as to whether this was clever trickery or drama injection. Because it was pretty troubling to see Rumpelstiltskin take Robin's heart. But then, a few scenes later, oh, I gave it back. You, you weren't looking. And yeah, there's some truth to he had to do that, I guess, to deceive Pan. Because he didn't know if Pan or his shadow could be watching, but... It felt sort of... I mean, I was happy for the quick resolution. (laughs) I didn't know where they were going with that. Supposedly, this would not have worked anyway because Pan has been dead for a long time. Although, Mm -hmm. again, like we said earlier, there was no body. It was the same death that Rumpel already came back from. Yeah. In a different way, obviously. And Pan still needs a heart. I mean, even if we kind of put aside all the body and soul issues, if there is no heart then he's not a threat. He's still stuck in the underworld. He's not going back to Storybrooke with you because he can't, because he doesn't have a heart. So tricking him like this and putting in this um, infected heart, this wineskin, it, it kind of seems almost pointless because just put Belle in the box, walk away. Your father will probably follow you and shout at you a bit, but he can't do anything. Yeah. The River of Lost Souls is the new squid ink. i mean you don't just fall into it in the river of lost souls it's also in the bay it's also in the soup in the soup it's also in a glamoured wineskin i don't know i don't know so there again i still wonder now that we've seen so many go into it in one way or another is there going to somehow be a releasing of souls from the river of lost souls or was that just the only way to keep life and death stakes while in the underworld dealing with people who are already dead i think pan is gone for good rumple said goodbye for good uh you do think he's gone for good yeah which disappoints me because pan was one of my other favorite villains besides cora Mm -hmm. Uh, but the other people we've seen go in two of them were relatively innocent. I mean, Auntie M didn't do a thing to deserve that. Right, right. And, I mean, Mila is definitely not my favorite character, and she's a very, very flawed individual. But she had made a lot of progress, and she had kind of a mini-redemption in her episode when we saw her. And she didn't deserve what happened to her either. And then there's Gaston, and yeah, okay, maybe he deserved it. But the other two, I'm kind of uncomfortable with the fact that they're probably going to be trapped in this river of lost souls forever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But we still have three more episodes to go. Three? Yeah. 
because we've got a two-hour finale that will be on May 15th. So that starts an hour earlier. So be prepared for that. And by the way, I'm sorry I have to share this disappointing announcement, but uh, due to a lot of other things going on and late schedule and such, I have to cancel our Cincinnati finale party. We might have something for those who are very, very local, but it would be very, very small. Or who are already arranged to arrive in the area. Yeah, if it's an airline ticket or something like that. Um, we so, will be happy to see you. Yes, uh, we might do a little hangout, but we're not going to advertise a big party or something like that. So if you are in the Cincinnati area and you want to hang out with us, or you already made plans to come to the Cincinnati area, you bought, already bought a ticket, you can't have refunded or anything like that, please email me directly, daniel at oncepodcast.com. I do that as soon as possible, and then I can um, try and figure out what small little thing we might do. Not an official finale party, but like maybe getting together, maybe we can cram some people into my office for watching the finale, or we might see what we can do there. But <laughs> uh, do please email me if you were... If you've already arranged to be in this area or you are already in this area and you might want to do something a little more casual uh, this time. But next year, we'll have something bigger, especially if next year is the actual series finale. We'll definitely do something bigger. But email me if you're in the area, daniel at oncepodcast.com. This final scene, as they're leaving the underworld, the pain just continues, I think, in... (laughs) in seeing how Emma almost seemed like she wanted to go back for Hook or she was expecting Hook to just show up and maybe, and Jacqueline might have to remain silent here because she knows spoilers, but maybe the next episode is going to pick up with us seeing Hook showing up and saying, the ambrosia worked, the ambrosia worked, <laughs> or something like that. But Emma's already gone, the portal is already closed, but maybe, again, maybe he doesn't even need the portal Although Pandora's box could have been a potential way to get him out of the underworld. Pandora's box was like, guys, we're paying Emily to just lay there. (laughs) Emily DeRaven nailed the acting. (laughs) (laughs) Like, let's put her in a box and not show her at all. I I mean, again, she could pop right out of that box next week because I've thought that before, but it is pretty funny. (laughs) I was like, why why are we dealing with Pandora's box again? Why does she even go in there? She's not a magical thing. I don't understand what's happening again. But that's okay. I mean, you know, you can do what you got to do when you when you're dealing with maternity leave and whatnot. <laughs> and I think Pandora's box was necessary. Here's the theory or the mythology that's potentially logical here is that people who are under a sleeping curse can't cross through portals. I mean, because I think they because can. reasons. <laughs> I think they can. I think that they were having issues with the idea of Rumple having to carry her into the portal. Yeah, and yeah. the staging of that. The other issue with this scene, which wasn't terrible, but it was sort of like there was this great momentum, like hurry into the portal. It's going to close, and then they just stop. And they just turn around and start reminiscing about their time in the underworld. And was, uh, Emma's clearly haunted or will be haunted, for lack of a better term, <laughs> with the idea that maybe she didn't do everything she could. But And I want to know if I'm alone in this. Did anyone else expect her to take off the jacket and leave it? I did. I did. <laughs> I was glad she didn't, but I That'll thought she was going to. That'll probably be 
the first thing she does back in Storybrooke. Maybe. Maybe. It's pretty iconic at this point. Yeah. Well, I have two thoughts on some things that were just said. About Belle in the box, there might actually (laughs) be kind of a rational explanation to it outside of Emily DeRaven being very pregnant. The only thing left inside Pandora's box, after all the evils are released in the world, is hope. Hope is what gets trapped in the box. And kind of symbolically, Belle, her, her very self, is Rumpel's hope. So the fact that he put his hope into Pandora's box, I don't know. I thought, yeah, this is ridiculous and weird, but it kind of works. And then the other thing, I actually thought Emma, for a brief second, might get left behind. Because she looked back. And from what I talked about with Orpheus and Eurydice, looking back is a bad thing. So for a moment there, I actually thought she might get left behind because she did the bad thing and looked back. Or turned into a pillar of salt. Sure. <laughs> I mean, even that's uh, definitely also possible. <laughs> I'd have to go back and look again, but I could swear Regina just hopped through that portal without even making sure Henry got through first. <laughs> Which I thought was pretty funny. <laughs> now, when the portal closed, the clock stopped at 8.15 and then ticked to 8.16. Of course. Nice numbers from Lost. Yeah, don't know why it did that. That's all right. We don't highlight every single time the numbers 4, 8, 15, 16, 23, 42 are mentioned in the episode. But when they put two of them together like this, 8, 15, 8, 16, that is a bit more obvious and quite iconic too. once upon a time because it seems like every time we've seen the clock tick, I know it hasn't been every time, but seems like every time it's been at 8, 15 to 8, 16 because right. they love hammering those numbers into us. Except now it's in the cemetery, but, you know, what are you going to do? The way they lingered on it felt very much like a chapter closing. And I don't know if that's because it is or because they want us to feel for a week that Hook is gone. (laughs) I think it's a little bit of both because look at the pattern they've had for uh, the last season where they brought the main story arc to a close a couple episodes away from the season finale then they gave us like a miniature series inside of the season and some new story arc that lasts for only a couple episodes for this if they do a new story arc it would be a small one but it would be for the next three episodes that we have the episode on mother's day and then the two-hour season finale on may 15th underbrook is very nighttime friendly for viewing so storybrook is going to look positively blue (laughs) By comparison. <laughs> yes. Not their back. If your circadian rhythms were rejoicing before, they're <laughs> going to be completely <laughs> off right now. <laughs> you have to watch Once Upon a Time earlier in the day. So another question that I think is fair to ask is, will the two-hour finale have anything to do with the story arc that we've just witnessed? Well, that's, that's what I'm saying. It could be something... A bit different. I think it'll build on this story arc, that it will be something involving Hades. Or it'll be the yearly adventures of Henry and Bob. (laughs) I say nothing. (laughs) Yeah, you can't say anything. I say nothing. Because you know spoilers, and we will share those spoilers, or rather, Hunter and Jacqueline will share those spoilers after we wrap up this episode. 
So this concludes our discussion of Firebird, at least in the podcast. But you're welcome to continue the conversation by going to the show notes at oncepodcast.com slash 248 and commenting there. Or you can comment and start your own conversations in the forums. And we have links to that as well over in the show notes for this episode at oncepodcast.com slash 248. If you enjoyed this conversation, please share the episode out with your friends who also watch Once Upon a Time or who are trying to figure this out. And I'm sure that they will enjoy uh, having conversations with you and you can find new friends with your shared passion for the TV show that uh, we have as well. So go to oncepodcast.com slash 248 to share this episode, see the screenshots, get the links and other stuff that we mentioned. And if you have the time, we'd really appreciate a positive review in iTunes or whatever podcast app that you use. If you're able to write reviews there, we'd appreciate that. Those are always encouraging and they help other people choose the podcast as well. Please connect with us on Twitter at Once Podcast. And I'm Daniel J. Lewis on Twitter at The Ramen Noodle. I'm Jeremy Laughlin on Twitter at Fleegon. That's P-H-L-E-G-O-N. I'm Jacqueline and you can find me on Twitter at Punk underscore Bunny underscore 87. This podcast would not be possible without our great team making each episode possible with us. So special thanks to Corbin for sorting our feedback, Jack for writing our show notes, John Buchanis for editing our episodes, Hunter Hathaway and Jacqueline for providing our spoilers. You'll hear from them in just a moment. Jacqueline and Matthew Paul for moderating the forums, Keb for masterminding our timeline, Jenny Lewis for managing our Patreon bonuses for our heroes, and my fellow co-hosts, Jeremy, Aaron, Hunter, and Jacqueline for hosting this podcast with me. And until next time, we've already had more time than we were meant to. So thanks for listening. Once Podcast is a proud member of Noodle Mix Network. Find more of our award-winning and award-nominated podcasts to make you think, laugh, and succeed at noodle.mx. Big thanks for supporting this episode of the podcast and to our other heroes. If you'd like to be a hero too and get exclusive access to our bloopers and other cool stuff, then please go to oncepodcast.com slash hero. And thank you for your support. And since you're still listening, before the spoilers, I want to share this little tidbit that couldn't really fit anywhere else, but this has to be shared. Matthew Paul, one of our other forum moderators, sent in this. He said, I can't help but picture Katy Perry's firework with the word firebird instead of firework. Because baby, you're a firebird. Come on, show him what you're worth. <laughs> Make him go oh 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 as you shoot across the sky. I I. <laughs> wow. As you dive into the clock tower. Make him go wait, wait, wait. Okay. Someone make a video of that. Someone make a video of Emma going into the the clock tower with Daniel's recorded singing. Or do or it. do your own better singing and we'll add it to the once podcast greatest hits alongside the others that Matthew Paul reminded us of the dark one sleeps tonight. <laughs> do you want to cry some teardrops? And the one back from season two is when Maleficent or yes. Maleficent saying, I knew you were trouble when you walked in <laughs> available soon at oncepodcast.com. Well, dead Maleficent followed none of the rules. 
Hi, Oncers. I'm Hunter Hathaway. And I'm Jacqueline. And it's spoiler time for Once Podcast, episode 521, Last Rites. Emma, David, Regina, Robin, and Henry are finally back home in Storybrooke and reunited with Snow. But unfortunately, they still have to contend with Hades, who continues to deceive Zelina as he lays out his plan to use the all-powerful Olympian crystal to take over the town. The heroes desperately search for a way to defeat Hades, while Hook does the same in the underworld, looking for those missing storybook pages. Regina and Robin take a more direct approach, which culminates in an epic showdown that will leave our heroes changed forever. Dun, dun, dun. Yep. Directed by Craig Powell and written by Jerome Schwartz. Is he a new director? New-ish. I can't think of anything else he's done for us. Yeah. At least this season. Like, I'm not used to saying that name. All right. <laughs> but we've got a lot of guest stars for We guys. have a lot of guest stars, yeah. So, returning to us, we have most of the dwarves. Um, we've got Grumpy, Doc, Sneezy, Sleepy, and Happy, and Bashful all returning as the dwarves. We also have Beverly Elliott as Granny, Mm -hmm. Emma Caulfield as the Blind Witch, along with her new cohort, Victoria Smurfett as Cruella DeVille. We also have Amy Manson returning as Merida and Liam Garrigan as King Arthur. They've been kind of teased as returning somewhere near the finale for a while now. And then Eric Kenleyside as Mo French, Belle's father, Raphael Alejandro as Roland. Yay. Michael P. Northey as Friar Tuck. Jason Burkhart as Little John. David Hofflin as Zeus. Kiefer Bachrick as Sad-Eyed Boy. And, of course, Greg German as Hades. I'm so glad you said those names. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it's a lot of different stories that we've seen somewhere in the past five seasons all returning. Yeah, and it's going to be a – I think it's going to be a good mix between – Storybrooke and Underbrook. Yeah. Because of all the characters. I'm excited to see Zeus. Yeah. And the guy that is playing him, we have a photo of him over at the forums, and he is quite good looking. Ooh, <laughs> like, I did not see that yet. Really good looking. <laughs> Distracting <laughs> lo- good looking. <laughs> Does he look like a Zeus, though? He could definitely pass for a Grecian god. Okay. I- I'm fine with the casting, personally. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. I've got to have to look this guy up. So, of course, we got a promo. Yes, we did. And it's one of those promos where they try and jam everything into 20 seconds that they can. Oh, by the way, he is very good looking. (laughs) See? Told (laughs) you. He looks a little young to be Zeus to me, though. I'm fine with it. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Okay. Okay. So, yes, our promo. Back to the promo. So, yeah, it's one of those ones that's also very, very intense because this is going to be a very big episode. Yeah, considering we're at the end of the season. Yeah. So we see Emma telling Gold that Hades is in Storybrooke and she has to stop him. Um, Regina tells Zelina that they will do whatever they need to do to protect the town, and Zelina does leave in a puff of smoke. And Robin tells Regina that she is his future, which is always a bad sign because it means someone is probably going to die. Right. Yeah. We get to see a nice little welcome home moment between Snow and David with Prince Neil. Mm-hmm. Like a really a quick little flash. Yeah. So Zelina has a face off with Emma and we do see Hades state that this will not kill you, but it will end you. And it ends with a scene at the graveyard. The camera focuses on Regina, who looks very upset, and Emma, who is crying. 
and we have talked about who we believe it is, but just showing that doesn't make it feel like it's him. Okay, so I think there are two funerals in okay. this in this episode. I think we might have Hook's funeral in the beginning um, for Emma, and that's why Emma's more upset than Regina when we saw that promo. Okay. But then I think there will be an ending funeral, and that will be Robin's. Okay, gotcha. Because, yeah, like, you look at it, and it looks like while Regina looks upset, Emma looks even more upset. Right. It just didn't make sense to me. But that makes sense now. And we do have quite a few photos for you, but they really don't tell you anything. Yeah, there's a lot of what seems to be the same scene. The exact same scene, just mm-hmm. different angles. And once again, we didn't get anything of the past. No. This is several weeks now that we haven't gotten any kind of photos of the past, which is sad because I want to see how they're dressing Zeus. Oh, so is Zeus going to be in the past? I think he's going to be in the past, but I also think he might be in present day Underbrook. I think he and Hook might actually team up. Okay, because the synopsis doesn't talk about anything about going into the past. Right. So that's why I wasn't even sure if we're going to even be going there. I think we have to because I think we have to see the fallout between Hades and Zeus. So I I do think we're going to see something in the past. It might be the furthest back in the past we've ever gone, though. Okay. So, but back to these photos. It's all pretty much in the same scene. Mm -hmm. It's all taking place in Regina's office. Yes, and it looks like there's a showdown between Regina and Robin, and then Hades and Zelina. They're all in the office together, and it's obviously some kind of conflict. Yeah, and we get a lot of photos of Hades with the big white stick. I assume this is the Olympian crystal that was mentioned in the press release. It looks a lot like a lightning bolt. Yeah, it, which, it's like a clearish color. I don't know if they did that for special effects, like if it's going to glow or something. I bet it's going to glow. It's a lightning bolt that he can hold in the center with a handle. And for those who don't know, and I'll probably end up bringing this up once we see the episode a week from now, but the lightning bolt is Zeus's weapon of choice. Yes. So I'm wondering if that he one. stole Zeus's th- like lightning bolt or something. I don't know. Like I said, I know that because I know that from the Hercules movies. <laughs> yes. But there's a lot of him holding this bolt thingy, this mm-hmm. stick, Olympian crystal, and using it threateningly. So I'm guessing it doesn't do good things. And we do see Zelina holding the pages of the storybook. Yeah. And I want to know what story it is. Well, I kind of zoomed in, and it looks like it's the picture of her and Hades from Oz. The one that Hades ripped out back in episode 515. Okay, so she could be holding it up being like, no, look, he does love me, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. He's not using me. Right. And then we do see Regina and Robin trying to protect baby Pistachio. Because who brings a baby to a fight? People on this show do. (laughs) Right. I I don't know. I mean, I assume that Zelina has been keeping baby Pistachio because she's the last one to have the baby. And Mm -hmm. so they're trying to find baby Pistachio. But someone poof that baby away. Yeah. Poof him to the nuns. Yeah. It it can just show up in a crib. That's fine. Right. And then there is a picture of Emma at the graveyard. And she's standing over a very fresh grave that has flowers on it. And we aren't able to see the name, but I think it's probably Hooks. Yeah. Yeah. And she's holding a flask in one hand. And it kind of looks like Hook's flask. And I'm wondering if it's filled with the ale of Sinead. Mm. 
because Merida is coming back this week. So I'm wondering if she goes to Merida and asks for more of that ale. I wonder how much ale of this that they have. Are they going to use this whenever someone dies? An infinite amount. <laughs> it didn't look like there was an infinite amount in that right. one thing. <laughs> so, yeah. But also, how did they get a gravestone already with a name on it for the grave? I don't know. Those take at least six months to make. Magic. <laughs> <laughs> but some other things about this episode... Of course, we've been teasing this since the very beginning of this arc, really. But this is the week that Robin Hood is probably going to die. Aww. And his funeral will happen. The big question, I think, right now is who kills him? Because we know that Regina and Robin team up to take down someone. So it seems likely that Hades probably ends up killing Robin. But then you would think that Regina would be the one to maybe dispatch Hades after that. But I don't know if she can, because he is a god. Right, and gods can't technically die. So I'm wondering if Emma is going to be the one to take down Hades for Regina. Because she is the savior. Right, and then this leads to the Zelina and Emma showdown that was sort of previewed in the promo, and that we had a very, very few photos of when they were shooting this scene. It was just the two of them, and it looked like a battle. Yes. Like, it was really kind of cool. If you can, if you watch the promo again, it's literally a split second, but you see Zelina, like, throw her arm, and Emma goes flying. Mm-hmm. So there's going to be some major magic going on in this episode. And this is probably also the end of Hades. Villains die when it's their centric episode. <laughs> or, I don't know, like I said... If Because isn't gods can't die, technically? Well, I mean, technically, like, it's very, 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 very hard to kill a god. But since Emma has been always held up as this savior hero figure, I think she could probably end him. Okay, because I was going to say, if Zeus is there, maybe he can take him and put him in some god jail. God jail. <laughs> maybe. Surrounded by lightning bolts. I but don't know. whatever it is, I don't think we're going to be seeing Greg German after this episode. Okay, that would make sense, because now we have to start getting ready for next season. Yes. We got a script tease, everyone. Yay. Yay. It's between Snow and Emma. And who would you like to be? I think I'll be Snow. Okay. You're going to have to... She, there is a part where she will have to tell you what she's doing. Yes. <clears throat> oh, Emma, I'm so sorry. And then I embrace her, and Emma fights to hold back tears. I made a lot of mistakes, Mom. I never should have gone there. And seen. And seen. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I guess she's talking about never should have gone to the underworld. Yeah, probably. So. So yeah. that's it that we have for 521. Right. We do have a few things, though, for the next couple episodes after that. Because after 521, we have our two-hour season five finale. Yes. And starting at 7 p.m. And check your DVRs. Mine's already recording at 7 p.m. <laughs> <laughs> so for 522, Mark Isham, who writes all the music for the show and who always somehow manages to tweet out something that he probably shouldn't, did tweet out a picture of what he was working on at the moment or scoring at the moment. And we were able to read the title, which was called Mixtape and the Greater Good. And this was for episode 522, which is entitled Only You. So I think Henry is about to make a mixtape for Violet. And they're Aww. probably going to listen to it while they travel to New York City. Yes. 
That's so cute. And speaking of New York City. Yeah. TV Guide dropped quite a little article this week. They did. About what the final two episodes are about. And I think it gives a pretty good indication of what season six is going to be about as well. Okay. So do you want to talk about your theories first? Well, why don't we tell them what the article is and then I'll theorize. Okay. So I pretty much paraphrase this whole article because there's a lot of quotes in it, but I'm just going to get to the meat of the article. Um, Regina goes back to the dark side and takes her and Emma on a road trip to the Big Apple. Henry is determined to keep his mom, Regina, from reverting to her big bad self so that he runs away on a quest to destroy magic. Regina and Emma, with gold, all follow Henry to New York City, and the two moms are trying to stop Henry from destroying magic and stop gold at the same time. Yeah, so it sounds like Rumpel is actually going to go after Henry and make him not destroy magic, and then Emma and Regina are going after gold to prevent him from hurting Henry. Right. So... There's a lot of stopping everything. Yes. But it does come back to a science versus magic aspect, which we saw in the last half of season two when we had the home office and we had Greg and Tamara. Yes. Now, we know that Jekyll and Hyde are coming. They are two of the big players in season six. And we will meet them in the finale. Mm -hmm. And if you guys have never read Jekyll and Hyde, Dr. Jekyll has this chemical potion type thing. And when he he takes it and he, you know, kind of gets this split personality between himself and then Mr. Hyde, who is very devious and evil. And so one of the theories that's going around right now is that Regina is actually going to take Jekyll's potion. And that's how she becomes the evil queen again, that it's not going to be her choosing the dark side, but it's almost forced upon her. Oh, because they've been doing this a lot almost continuously with Rumpel, where he is good, bad, good, bad, good, bad. And they did it in season 5A with Hook when he became the Dark One for a brief period of time and kind of went back to his evil self. So now it seems like it's Regina's turn. And it's kind of like the spell of Shattered Sight, but she'll be transitioning back and forth in season 6. That's my theory. And the theory that a lot of people have um, put forward. Okay, very cool. Yeah. It's another way to tie in Jekyll and Hyde. A lot going on. A lot to look forward to in the next two weeks. Yeah. So I think that's all we have. I don't have anything else. Neither do I. Okay. So I'm Hunter. You can follow me on Twitter at Traveling Pixie. And I'm Jacqueline. And you can follow me on Twitter at Punk underscore Bunny underscore 87. Until next time, oncers. Bye.